This week's TribCast is sponsored by Texas State Technical College has Texas covered with 10 campuses across the state and now with 20 new 100% online programs, students can learn the skills necessary to start a great new career. Find out more at tstc.edu and Texas Conference for Women. Cal Newport explores the benefits of a digital detox to get back to the basics of human connection in this new normal. Listen now at conferenceforwomen.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for August 27th, 2021. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News and Politics for the Tribune. We are doing an um, unusual version of the Tribcast today. It's coming two days late. We only have two other guests and we're only talking about one topic. But it's a big topic and we held off this week in order to be able to talk about it. It is the House Passage of the voting restrictions bill. It's been just under three months since Democrats walked off the House floor in a dramatic late night maneuver to block the voting restrictions bill from passing in the regular session of the, uh, the legislature. Since then, we've had two special sessions called Democrats Decamp to DC, which prompted anger and threats of arrest from Republican leaders. But late Thursday night with the quorum finally present, the House voted to approve the bill, which among other things bans late night voting, by the way. Today, uh, Friday, the House gave final approval to the measure, sending it back to the Senate. Uh, this week, to discuss this, I'm joined by two reporters, demographics reporter Alexa Uda. You make us sound like the legislature. We're running late. We're low on numbers. <laughs> we're only talking about the voting bill. Everyone's in a bad mood. <laughs> Indeed. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Alexa. And politics reporter Cassie Pollock. She's not in a bad mood. She's never in a bad mood. She loves this. Hello, happy Friday. So happy yeah. to be here. <laughs> happy Friday. Holding a dog in her hands as well, I, I should note, as we as we discuss this via Zoom. Cassie's living in another world from me right now. <laughs> Too happy. <laughs> yeah. All right, Alexa, tell us what happened last night. Walk us through kind of the scene in the house. Sure. So, I mean, it was it was sort of weird because in a lot of ways it was a very familiar scene in the House, right? We uh, embarked on a very, very long debate. It ended up running over 12 hours. It featured, you know, outnumbered Democrats trying to offer many, many, many amendments to change a bill that they opposed but just didn't have the numbers to really keep from passing. Uh, obviously, it wasn't completely ordinary, right? This was coming at the end of this sort of six-week-long saga in which they were out. They had forced two special sessions, and they were finally, Republicans were finally getting a vote on this bill that they had been pushing for for a really long time. Um, you know, the, the debate started kind of strangely when House Speaker Dade Phelan made a request for lawmakers to not use the word racism, in their discussions. The request came at a weird time because it was after Matt Shaheen, who's a Republican uh, from the DFW area, I'm forgetting exactly from where at this point, um, but he was at the back mic, he was asking questions of the bill author, Andrew Murr, who, and, and was sort of mad at some of the criticisms of voter suppression 
and sort of Jim Crow 2.0 that we've heard from from Democrats and some of their allies in opposing this bill. But it, it really sort of set off a weird tone for the whole debate. Um, in which, you know, the leader of the chamber was saying, don't use the word racism to talk about a bill that, you know, specifically targets voting methods that officials have said were used by voters of color and in a chamber that has a history of intentionally discriminating against voters of color in their lawmaking, as federal courts have found. So it was a, a pretty weird start to a very long day that in a lot of ways ended the way we expected it to end. Yeah, you know, that uh, that was a pretty striking moment. I know it got a lot of attention and, you know, I think deserved a lot of attention um, because, you know, it, it kind of goes to what's something that's been going on a lot where, you know, Republicans have been extremely resistant to any suggestion that they are racist or that they are doing something that is discriminatory where but then also seem very much to not want to engage with the idea of discrimination, you know, or that that discrimination exists in our society right now. And we see that, you know, with the way they talk about the voting bill, we see the way they talk about it with the uh, critical race theory and, and things like that. And so, you know, that, that it seemed to have drawn a pretty big reaction among the Democrats. And then we of course saw Rafael Anchia come up, later in the debate, right, and kind of start talking about, okay, we don't want to talk about racism, but let's talk about the, I think he says, 10 different times that courts have found the Texas legislature to have intentionally discriminated against people of color with, you know, the lines they have drawn or the the, the bills they have passed. And, and And that kind of drew a conversation about whether you could even call that racism, right? Yeah, uh, State Representative Gina Hinojosa from Austin went up to the back mic and started asking uh, Anchia various questions about what he was talking about. And I think at one point, you know, probably challenging the speaker's request, basically said, you know, intentional discrimination against people of a certain race isn't that racism. Um, and, you know, the speaker sort of brought down the gavel and said, you know, we should talk about the racial impacts of this legislation without accusing members of this body of being racist. And, you know, the reality is, though, that the chamber has not talked about the racial impacts of the legislation. And Democrats tried to offer amendments to ask for, you know, a sort of disparate impact study of some sort on of, of voting changes on voters of different demographics. They, you know, have repeatedly asked Murr if he's considered any of this as he's pushed the legislation through, and his answer has always been no. And, and really, the push for those conversations has come from, you know, advocates, civil rights lawyers who will probably be, you know, litigating some of this eventually in court. And it has come from, from lawmakers, from Democratic lawmakers, but there really hasn't been an honest, and even sort of like actual engagement between members of different parties over disparate racial impact, right? The idea of if you're if you're doing something like 24-hour voting that's meant to help shift workers, okay, well, who is more likely to be a shift worker, right? Who is more likely to not be able to vote during normal hours? Like we're they really haven't had any of those sort of conversations. There was a moment late at night when Tony Rose from Dallas tried to offer 
a sort of a related amendment about um, studying racial, the disparate racial impact. And, you know, obviously the amendment went nowhere and she sort of frustratedly walked off the chamber and, and kind of said to as she passed the press area, said, you know, y'all don't want to talk about race, but I'm going to keep talking about it. And and I think, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, this bill is passing, but really without any sort of real conversation about that. What, what were we hearing from Republicans? I mean, I know the, the, they have pushed this bill largely on the idea of uh, voter integrity, and, and that has been something they've been talking about, you know, basically since the legislative session started in January, the, the, the regular legislative session. But was, was there a, what was the mood in the chamber among Republicans? I mean, were they celebratory when the bill passed? What, how were they kind of, what were they talking about? How were they reacting to the debates and the conversations as they went on? Uh, you know, I think it, it was, I don't, maybe split is not the right word. And, and Cassie, you, sh you should offer if you have a different sort of take on it or expand on this. But I felt like there were some Republicans who were clearly upset about the quorum break and kept trying to sort of call Democrats on it whenever they were at the mic. And then there was people who sort of just like wanted to get this over with, it seemed like. Um, and then you had people like Andrew Murr, the author of the bill, who is trying to sort of shepherd this through, but kind of has taken a different, at least rhetorical approach to other Republicans in kind of defending the bill, right? You know, over in the Senate, we hear Brian Hughes, the author of the bill, use the the sort of, you know, make it harder to cheat, easier to vote sort of thing. And you don't really hear that from Andrew Murr. He's, he's mostly said, you know, we regularly look at our election laws and decide what needs to be improved and that's what we're doing here he was he's a little bit more um i don't know to the by the book or sort of he's sort of really strict even with in his own rhetoric about talking about this and so you, you kind of had that very big contrast where murr kept saying things along those lines you know we are improving on our bill on our election laws this is something we normally do and then you had the other uh on the other end, you had Republicans who were, you know, really trying to go after Democrats, clearly upset about them having walked off and, and broken quorum for so long. Sure. So, so what happens next? Where do we where do we go from here? Well, so they gave final approval to the bill. It heads over. It, head, it will head back to the Senate, which at this point has to decide whether they will take the changes the House made to it and send it to the governor's desk or request a conference committee on this again. So lawmakers from both chambers will sort of get together behind closed scenes and kind of try to consolidate the differences. Um, you know, but unlike in the regular legislative session, the chambers are very, very close in their versions of the bill. During the regular session, the House really didn't embrace a lot of the things that the Senate was pushing for that are now in the bill, including a lot of those Harris County specific things, the ban on overnight voting, the ban on curbs on drive-through voting. Um, those things were not there before. And but this time they were part of the bill that was filed. And even last night, they were still accepting amendments that were adding a lot of language that would very much align this with the Senate pretty closely. We still haven't seen the final version of that because there are a lot of amendments. Um, but they're they're pretty close, um, and uh, you know, I won't try to sort of foretell what will happen to us. But I think the odds of the Senate accepting the House's changes are are much much higher than they were in the regular session, at least. Yeah, basically, they 
you, you know, I, I, you've got to think if you're a Republican trying to push this bill through, given everything that's happened with the regular session with the Democrats fleeing to DC, that just doing something, creating as few opportunities for Democrats to put up obstacles between now and the end of the special session would seem to be the, the most strategically wise kind of move here for them. So I guess we will see that it seems likely that the Senate will be meeting this weekend. And, and so we could be seeing this kind of on the, on the way to the governor's desk, you know, before, before the weekend ends. Let's take a brief pause to hear a message from our sponsors. Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas Incorporated is dedicated to creating access to healthcare for uninsured and low-income families in South Texas through healthcare services, advocacy, and strategic grant making. Learn more at mhm.org. And Raise Your Hand Texas. Listen to the new Raise Your Hand Texas podcast, Intersect Ed, where the stories of education policy and practice meet. Visit raiseyourhandtexas.org slash podcast. Join us at the Texas Tribune Festival, taking place virtually from September 20th through the 25th. There we'll bring the future into focus as we look ahead to what's next in Texas politics, policy, and beyond. Buy tickets at tribfest.org. All right, Alexa, so one thing we haven't really gotten into details yet is what's in this bill. I mean, can you just give us briefly a, an ex, a description of, of what the bill actually does? Yes. Um, it's a pretty far reaching bill, right? So it's got new restrictions on early voting hours. That's how they're getting rid of the 24 hour voting Harris County did. Um, it's got that ban on drive through voting. It has new rules for voting by mail, like making it a state jail felony for uh, local election officials to sort of proactively send applications to request a ballot by mail. Even if they, even to send them to people who are 65 and older who automatically qualify, uh, it has new ID requirements for voting by mail. It has um, new protections for poll watchers at the polling place, basically giving them free movement um, and heightening the criminal penalties for any local election official who tries to keep them from being able to observe the election. Uh, it's it's a pretty it's still a pretty pretty broad bill, um, and still includes some of those restrictions. It did it Democrats did manage to amend it last night, or the Republicans amended it, but it was a push from something Democrats have been pushing for to require training for poll watchers. There was a portion of the bill that basically said a poll watcher couldn't be removed even if they were breaking the penal code, unless they were first warned about their illegal behavior. The bill was amended last night to where basically they can be kicked out. They can be removed on the first off offense. Um, so that was sort of a pretty big win. And then it, it includes other things that the Republicans have sort of tried to uh, push to the forefront of it, right? It adds a minimum hour to early voting. Um, it lowers the threshold, uh, the population threshold for counties that have to offer 12 hours of early voting in that second week of early voting. Um, and then in cure, and it has a new cure process um, so that you can fix mail-in ballot issues if you forget to include a signature or include wrong, uh, you know, incorrect information on that. And that was something that the Democrats had pushed for uh, back in the regular legislative session. So it's a pretty enormous bill. 
Um, it was it was amended last night again, and so we're sort of waiting to to see that final version to compare to how close the it is to the Senate bill. But but really, both of the those sort of things are shared in both versions of the of the bill at this point. Cassie, you are our kind of house watcher for the Tribune. Tell us about what the, actually let's break this down by party first um you know we've got obviously the republican and democratic reactions to this bill are very different it's been a very long summer both for us as journalists and also for these members what do you what's the feeling among democrats right now they they put up this fight for a very long time but ultimately they're i guess you can't declare them having lost yet but they are uh you know the the seconds are ticking down and it, things aren't looking good for them yeah, I mean, you know, Alexa has gotten at this in a lot of her reporting and kind of the framing uh, heading into yesterday's, yesterday's debate, which was, you know, I think a lot of Democrats are feeling resigned to the reality before them, right? They they knew from the onset of the initial walkout back in May that they were never going to actually have the numbers to stop this bill indefinitely. You know, Abbott made pretty clear uh, early on as well that he was going to continue to call lawmakers back session after session until they passed this, you know, this elections bill along with um, a few other uh, priorities of his. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, Alexa, I wasn't in the chambers as late as you were last night, but my kind of sense is that there was just kind of a feeling yesterday of like somberness, right? Like this, this awareness, this recognition that, yeah, you know, we were able to stall this bill for seven weeks and we were able to, to maybe get the ball rolling up in, in DC, like on a federal, you know, level with the federal voting rights legislation, but, you know, we're still back here on the floor uh, offering amendments and, and, you know, making sure that it's all in written in record for potential legal battles over this legislation. But um, you know, uh, it is what it is, and this is still a Republican-controlled legislature with a Republican governor. And this bill, uh, despite their best, despite Democrats' best efforts, was uh, you know always going to pass. Yeah, and we should note that the the Democratic numbers were still low in the chamber yesterday. I think it's probably the most Democrats that had been back for a while, uh, but they were still missing. I think it was like a third of the caucus. Obviously, some folks have been in D.C. this week. It seems like other folks are, are coming back, but it wasn't sort of like the, you know, everyone in on sort of the pushback and the questioning at the back mics and the amendments, right? Like it, it seemed like a concerted effort among a few of the members, but it wasn't the responsibilities for sort of fighting this on the floor and or creating that legal record didn't seem to sort of stretch across everyone who was there. And in fact, there were, there were Democrats on the floor who n never even went up to the back mic, didn't offer any amendments throughout the, I mean, they, they were just sort of mm -hmm. non-participants other than, you know, voting for the Democratic amendments and voting against the, Dem the Republican amendments. Yeah. Like something that struck me yesterday, I was just thinking about this as, as the debate was playing out is, you know, I was in the chamber for, and it was actually one of my first times in the chamber during the regular session for, um, you know, the permitless carry legislation. And that by far, that debate by far uh, was more emotional, uh, emotionally charged, you know, just all around from Republicans and Democrats throughout. And, you know, that was a pretty long debate too, maybe eight hours um, or so. Uh, you know, but yesterday's debate, just in terms of like emotion and whatnot, you know, everyone seemed to kind of like recognize like the reality before them, which was like, you know, this Republican back bill was going to get passed by Republicans. Um, Watkins, to your point about how Republicans are feeling, 
you know, I'm, I'm probably overgeneralizing here, but I think everybody's everybody on the Republican side is most everyone at least is, is in the mood to just move on from this bill. Um, uh, this statement from the from House Speaker Dade Phelan just landed in our inboxes uh, as Tribcast uh, got underway. You know, of course, applauding Andrew Murr, uh, the the election bill sponsor for his work on it, saying that the you know the legislation is passing the legislation is a significant step forward. But you know, then Phelan says quickly turns to saying that the House is going to work deliberatively to pass items on the special session call. And then, you know, he mentions a few specific ones, you know, the 13th check for retired teachers, uh, children in the foster care system, you know, the, the item on that call is, you know, giving additional funding and then, um, uh, you know, restoring funding to Article 10, which, of course, uh, fuels like the, the budget for the legislature and, and staffers there and, you know, other legislative agencies. So, uh, you know, with uh, less than or about a week and a half left, I think uh, everyone is is wanting um, everyone on the Republican side. And I think on the Dem side, too, wants to turn quickly to some of these other issues that probably have a little bit more bipartisan support than something like the elections bill and make sure that they can get them over the finish line before the special session. The second one, of course, ends. Is there any indication as to whether other Democrats who are still out now come back, given that the bill has passed the house. I mean, I guess it still needs to get to the governor, but do, do they come back and fight or are they out for the rest of the special? I mean, I think we've seen, we've seen some statements from people who said they had no intentions of coming back at all. It seems like there's probably still a, a handful of people who haven't made their position clear, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I can't, I can't have, based on some of their public positioning or sort of alignment with other folks who have said they're not coming back. I'm not sure the Democrats will get to sort of hundred percent attendance before now and sign you die. It feels to me like the question that a lot of people are going to be asking now that this is starting to wrap up is, was it worth it? Did they, did they just delay the inevitable? Did, did, was this a whole lot of fighting over nothing? I think there are some people have, who have already raised the question of, you know, if this bill passes out during the regular session, are there other bills that maybe Republicans don't love right now that might come out of this second special session that 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 wouldn't have come to be if if not for this quorum bust? Any any insight from y'all on 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 that debate? I mean, is is was this a mistake? I think uh, the way that Democrats have been posturing publicly is. You know, of course not. This wasn't a mistake. We broke form out of principle. And in the meantime, we were able to convince Congress to, uh, again, urge them to act on, you know, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act bill and um, get a conversation going up in D.C., which, of course, could have implications for uh, SB1 if we get to a point where Congress and, and Biden sign this bill and, you know, SB1 somehow becomes law, um, you know, aside from legal challenges. So that's been probably the most consistent talking point that I've seen on the uh, among Dems. Alexa, would you agree with that? I, I, I guess I would approach it slight, in a slightly different manner um, because I think, or answering that question, because I think, yes, there, there are bills that are being considered now that otherwise probably would have been put to bed or, or not come up. I mean, they still had to do redistricting, so it's possible that even if SB7 had passed, it could have been added to the call for redistricting. Uh, but what I will say is if you look at this from a policy standpoint and look at what was in the bill... They have been able to use the quorum breaks 
to either push things off of it, like the things that the Republicans walked away from pretty quickly in SB7, mm-hmm. the restrictions on Sunday voting hours, the um, allowing judges to more easily overturn elections. I think mm-hmm. we've heard Republicans sort of speak pretty candidly about, or maybe not candidly, but kind of more forcefully about why that would have been a bad idea. And, and the thing is, though, that in even over the summer, sort of putting those two things aside, we have seen Republicans make more changes to the bill that advocates have been calling for. We've seen a lot of, um, you know, I think movement for advocates for people with disabilities who were able to use these sort of repeated committee hearings to have more time in front of lawmakers and kind of lay out their concerns. And, and, they, and some of them were addressed in, in those amendments. And there are changes to the bill now that advocates for people with disabilities have celebrated that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that's not to say that they still that they love the bill, right? There are still things in it that are problematic and that they have raised us concerns for them. But there have definitely been some very big changes to the legislation over time that the, the Democrats um, in some ways created by breaking quorum multiple times. Sure. And as you as you kind of noted, we now have redistricting to look forward to as the next big thing. And it's a, a wary house, a tense house, a tense capital, I would say. And and it sounds like, you know, sometime this fall or, or late summer, they're going to have to come back together and have another very intense fight where a lot of these issues are going to come up again about, you know, voting rights and and disparate impact on on individuals of color and and, and things like that. So um, people may be wary, but there's there's a lot more coming on here. I um, I can't let this trip cast go without um, discussing very br- briefly the thing that completely blew my mind to learn today. Uh, Cassie and Alexa know exactly what I'm talking about here. Uh, both of y'all already knew this, I understand, but I, I can't believe we didn't tell you. You're just a history buff. <laughs> As my uh, obsession with LBJ and the uh, Robert Caro books has grown over the last couple uh, years, one of my favorite stories was the story of the 1948 U.S. Senate election in which uh, LBJ uh, won his seat in the in the U.S. Senate from Texas against uh, a former governor named Koch Stevenson. The the election legendary in Texas politics uh, in large part because it's pretty widely agreed upon that LBJ did not really follow all the rules and that there were some shenanigans. Uh, some would say cheated to win that election. He goes on, of course, to become the Senate Majority Leader and then goes on to become president where he passes the Voting Rights Act. Meanwhile, Koch Stevenson retires to his ranch, meets his future wife, raises his family. Among those family happens to be the parent. I'm not sure whether it's, is it, do we know whether it's mother or uh, father? A parent, just go parent. (laughs) Parent of Andrew Murr, the mustachioed, um sponsor of the uh the the elections bill that came up tonight so basically we saw the the outcome of this election helped lead to the passage of the voting rights act you know a couple a couple decades later and then basically more than a half century later we see the uh the the grandson of the the losing candidate in that race 
you know, uh, sponsoring this bill in the house, uh, a bill which that passed uh, on LBJ's birthday. Yes, which this is some weird shenanigans going so, on. Just an amazing, to me, just an amazing coincidence, I guess. Story, the you know, the history of Texas politics kind of keeps keeps moving forward. So, with that, thank you for indulging me and in, and in, in expressing <laughs> my just astonishment over that thing and thank you to alexa and to cassie and to michael ray and thank you to our sponsors texas state technical college the texas conference for women methodist healthcare ministries of south texas and raise your hand texas we will talk to you all next week <laughs>